During the past four weeks, we've been specifically looking at how do we how do we do it together? We've been talking about we're better together. We said we're we're better when we're fellowshipping together. It's better when we reach out together. It's better when we worship together. It's better when we grow together. And today we're talking about looking at serving together. Now, God did not put us on this earth to live a selfish life. It's not all about us. God didn't put us on the earth to just take up space, breathe a bunch of, you know, use up a bunch of resources, have fun, and then die. God put us on the earth to make this world a better place. And God has a contribution that he wants each of us to make with our lives. And he wants us to practice serving him. You know, we're going to be serving God for all of eternity when we're living with him in heaven. He wants us to practice or get in the practice of serving him while we're here on earth. The question is, how do you serve God? How do you serve an invisible God? What do you get a God who has everything, right? There's only one way that we can serve God, and that's by serving others, other people. We can't serve God directly. We serve God by serving others. Whenever we use our gifts, whenever we use our talents, whenever we use our resources, whenever we use our time, our energy, our background to serve someone else, we call that your shape, as I said. When we use that to help somebody, we're ministering. The Bible calls that minister, ministry. Contrary to popular opinion, I'm not the minister in our church. I'm just the pastor. We are all ministers. First thing we cover in class 101, Membership Matters, every member is a minister. God says, I, I don't want you doing this by yourself. Every time we help somebody, we're ministering to that person. But God says, I don't want you to do it by yourself. I don't want you to, be, um, to minister alone. I don't want you to be a lone ranger servant. I want you to do it in community. I want you to work together with each other. The verse that I want you to see is Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. It's on the top of your outline there. It says, agree with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do we do that? How do we work together with one heart and one purpose? You might even ask, why does God even require this? I mean, why can't I just serve God on my own? Why do I have to work with other people? Can't it just be Jesus and me, you know, and for all of eternity kind of a thing? Isn't this all, all I need is just me and Jesus? Well, there's three reasons that we serve together. I want you to start writing them down. I, I sang this to you last week. The first reason is we are family. Okay, we'll leave the Pointer Sisters out of it this week. We are family. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We work together as partners who belong to God. If you're in God's family, God says, I want you to get along with all your brothers and sisters and me. Okay, I want you to get along with the rest of the, the, rest of the family. Let me, in fact, let me let you in on a little secret. God is more interested in the relationships that we build when we're ministering and we're serving together, he's more interested in the relationships that we build when we're serving than he is in actually the service that we're doing, the needs that we're meeting. He says we're family, 
and he wants us to learn to get along because we're going to spend eternity together. The second reason we need to serve together is, is we need each other. We need each other. Fill that in. Nobody has all the talents. So you may think, ah, I'm so talented, I've got all the... Nope, nobody has all the talents. Now, God did this on purpose. I mean, God could have decided, you know, we're going to take 10% of the human race, or 5%, or 2%, or 0.777, that sounds holy, we'll use 0.777% of the human race, and I'm going to give them all of the gifts, all of the talents. And they'll be super servers. But God purposely does not do that. The reason is, is because we need each other. The Bible says we're part of the, the body of Christ. Nobody has all of the gifts or all of the talents. We have to be interdependent on each other. So some of us are hands, and some of us are feet, and some of us are the ears in the body of Christ or the eyes in the body of Christ. Someone once told me, well, Jerry, you're, you're the big mouth in the body of Christ. And I said, well, you know, I guess I have to, I have to own that. Romans 12.5, in the message paraphrase, I love this one. It says, each of us finds our meaning and function as part of Christ's body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? No, we wouldn't. It would die. If you cut off your finger, it's not going to live on its own. Only chance is if you get a surgeon, a hand surgeon that reattaches it. It has to be connected to the body to survive. We have to be connected to God's family to be everything that he wants us to be. Look what we get when we are connected. We find meaning and function. That first sentence. We find meaning and function as part of Christ's body. Third reason we need each other. Uh, we need each other uh, when we serve is we get more done. We feel that in? We get more done. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, by the way, Solomon wrote this several thousand years ago. Two are better than one. Because together, they can work more effectively. You know this is true. You've seen this. You've experienced this in life. This isn't news that teamwork multiplies effectiveness. God wants to use us in ways that we've never expected. And when we work together as a team, sometimes... And then he blesses, it's like, poof, it's supernatural. You see things that God accomplishes through his people, and you realize, boy, it's so great to be a part of that. That's what happens on, on Wednesday nights when you see God work in one of these young people's lives, and they come in kind of doubting, and they don't know. And the next thing you know, they're talking about, pray for my family. I'm the only Christian in my family, and I want my mom and my dad uh, to know Jesus. Pray, pray for them. And it's so rewarding to be a part of that, But no, hey, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. That's a God thing that did that. He wants to use us in a team with four or five or six or ten other people. Either a service team or use our small group to serve people. And we help each other out. It's a whole lot easier, by the way, when you're on a team. The Bible often compares being together in ministry. It compares serving together. It compares make, making a difference in the world. It compares it to gardening or farming. Look at this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose in mind. We know 
in our student and our children's ministry, when I told you we had 40-something over in Power Up, that is our future youth group. Josh, who pastors our middle schoolers, knows that those 40 kids over there in the next half of the building over there, they're going to be his middle schoolers in four years. And Pastor Nick knows those middle schoolers that are, you know, they're, they're fifth grade, they're sixth grade, they're so, they're so tiny compared to some of these big football players we have rolling around here on a Wednesday night. Those little guys, they're going to be our high schoolers of the future. And folks, it's bigger than that. My son was over there. He was the little kid over in Kids Zone. My daughter was over there. She was the... She was one of the girls in our high school group. They're up here leading worship. They're serving God their whole lives. And, and you don't, it's not your responsibility to look at the next, the, next third, the next third grader and go, oh, that's going to be the next Billy Graham. I'm going to pour my life in. But I bet you there's some Billy Grahams over there. And we all work together as a team. One, one plants, one. And here's the thing. You don't know. You don't know what you're going to say or what's going to get taught. Because let's face it, when you're dealing with little kids, they're not listening. They're your kids. We don't, you know, your kids don't listen. They don't listen to us either. And, and, and you're teaching them and you're going, it's not getting through. It's not getting through. Or you get them in middle school. We know they're not listening. They're talking to each other and texting each other while Pastor Josh is, is trying to teach a lesson, you know. And every now and then you, you, he's thinking, well, I wish one of the adults would like shush shush them or set them apart or whatever. And then you get over to high school and obviously, you know, high school are way too cool. They're too cool to listen. So, and you think to yourself, none of this is getting through. I'm telling you, you have no idea what's going to happen in their freshman year of college when God reminds them. And, and they're going, well, I, I remember Pastor Rich teaching us about kindness when I was in the third grade. Or I remember Pastor Josh teaching us about choices, making right choices when I was in middle school. Or I guarantee you every high school, every college freshman is singing, I remember Pastor Nick telling us, we need a budget. Buddy, I need a budget. Because he talks about budgeting all the time. He has the spiritual gift of budgeting. And that's what, that's, what, that's what the teenagers say. Well, this comes easy to you, Nick. You have the spiritual gift of budgeting. It's like, that's not a budget. That's not a, that's not a thing. And you don't know when it's going to click in, when God's going to use what you've used. And that goes in ministry in every area. Whatever we do as a team, we work together, we water it, but God's the one that brings the harvest. God wired us that way that we feel most alive when we're part of a team. Teams bring us closer together to get more done and to have more fun. So what does it take to build a team? The cool thing about this message, this is another one, because community is in every area of our life and because God wants us to love people, that's what we've been talking about, how do we love people in every area of life, this message isn't just about serving in church. If you have a family and you want your marriage to be better, you want your family to work together as a team, you got to do these four things. If you have a work group at work and you want to develop some team spirit, these are the four things you need. If you have your small group and you want them to come closer as a, as a team, these are the four things. You have four friends and you want to be closer, these are the four things that you would do to increase the team spirit. And I've given you these four things in the form of a, to make it easy to remember, in an acrostic, T-E-A-M, spells team. The first thing that you need, if you're going to have camaraderie, you're going to have a team with, with people in your small group or in your ministry team or in your family or anywhere, number one, you need trust. Will you fill that in? Trust is the emotional glue 
that draws us closer to our friends, to our family, to our teammates. Without trust, we're never going to be able to have that close, intimate relationship that God wants us to have. It's the emotional glue that creates a team. Teamwork without trust is impossible. Now, Jesus and Paul did ministry across the pages of our New Testament with teammates. Jesus had a group of people. Paul always had a group of people. They are the model for our ministry, for our lives. We should always have a team when we're serving, when we're serving God. One of Paul's team members was a guy named Timothy. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Circle the word entrusted. It involves trust. To build a team, here's the first step. You can't do it all yourself. You have to trust others and trust them with significant parts of whatever you're doing, whatever the team is accomplishing. So he says you have to trust them. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to guard what's been, what's been entrusted to you, to your care. So that means we share the responsibility. Proverbs 26 says many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. Now, that's interesting to me that Solomon writes this several thousand years ago, and it's still the same human dilemma we face today, isn't it? Who do you trust? How do you know who to trust? How do you find a trustworthy person? The question I want to ask that's even more important than that, how do you become a trustworthy person so that people will trust you? If you want to become a trustworthy person, you've got to do three things. The first is, I earn trust by being consistent. I earn trust by being consistent. Have you, have you noticed that people, they hate surprises. They don't want you to act one way one time and then act a whole other way another time. That builds insecurity. And when you're insecure, you don't trust they want us to act be the same yesterday and tomorrow. They want us to react the same consistently to whatever the situation is that we're in. The Bible tells us that God wants us to learn to be consistent and that when we are consistent, one of the words God uses about to talk about consistency is faithfulness. When we are faithful, consistently, full of faith, faithful, he trusts us with more and with more. In Luke 16, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. So there's a second way that you get people to trust you, not just being consistent, but the second thing I want you to write down is being confidential. I earn trust by being confidential. Now, if you're in one of the small groups, I talked, I talked about this on one of the videos just a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about growing, that in order for people to trust us, we've got to be able to keep a secret. When they share something with us that's, that when they get vulnerable, then they have to know that we're not going to, when they unload something, when they unburden themselves, that we're not going to go spread it all over. We're not going to post it on Facebook right as soon as we get in the car, right? And that's why one of the rules we have is that whatever happens and whatever set, is said in small group stays in small group. Um, so that when somebody shares a difficult prayer request or a difficult situation, we build trust when we know that it stays within the group, um, one of my groups says, yeah, well, unless you're with the pastor, it could end up in a sermon illustration. Um, so you, maybe you don't want to be in the pastor's small group because, you know, they, they'll that sign a waiver. I changed the name. No, I'm only kidding. We, we try not to do that. 
we have to be confidential to those that are in the group because they've trusted you. Um, Proverbs 11, 13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. All right, the third thing you've got to do if you want people to trust you, not only be consistent and confident, confidential, but you earn trust by being close. We have to spend time with people in order for them to trust us. We don't trust people we don't know. Proverbs 17, 17 is a beautiful verse. It says, friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Circles stick together. That implies proximity. If you're sticking together, it means you're already together. You were together before you stuck together. Distance kind of creates distrust. When you're distant from people, you start being distrustful of them. You don't trust people that you don't know. So if you, if you want people to trust you, then you're going to have to spend some time with them. There's no substitute for time. Time creates trust. Another way to say it is trust takes time. Either way, it takes time to build trust. Trust takes time. Notice it says that, I have to explain this to Floridians, it says that you learn trust through all kinds of weather. We read that, we're like, what does that mean? All kinds of weather. We get the same weather all the time, right? You know, you only have a couple of seasons in Florida, right? Love bug season and summer. That's it. And one day of winter. That was last week, last Sunday. It takes time to build trust. It means on all kinds of weather. It takes season after season after season after season. Time. Sometimes years. Can you lose trust? Question. Can you lose trust quickly? Hmm. You can lose trust in a second, and then it takes months to build trust or rebuild trust, or maybe even years to rebuild trust. Trust takes time. Okay, first thing we've got to have to build a team, we've got to, we've got to build trust. Second thing, the E in team stands for empathy. Can you fill that in there, empathy? First Peter 3.8 says, live in harmony with one another and be sympathetic. We can't have the first without the second. We're, going to, we're never going to live in harmony with our spouse, with our friends, with anybody else. We can't have harmony without having empathy. And we can't have a team without being aware of what's going on in each other's lives. And it's more than just doing the project together. You become a team when you start to get to know that person. You start to get to know what's happening in their life. That's, when, that's why people can be working on a project at, at the office together, but that's just working. But they become a team when they start hanging out with each other, when they start spending time with each other outside of the office, or at least start having some conversations about life outside the office. We're not going to be able to be a team unless we know what's going on in each other's life, and we have, have to have empathy. Empathy is so important because it meets two of our greatest needs as human beings. The first of the greatest needs that we have, everybody has a need, a fundamental need to be understood. We all need somebody, at least one person, hopefully more than one. We need one person at least that, that we can say, you know, they know me, they get me, they understand me, and they haven't rejected me. We have a deep need 
to be understood. And secondly, we have a deep human need to have our feelings validated. We need somebody or we need a group of people, somebody in our life who says, hey, you're not crazy. You're, you're not weird. That's no, if, if that happened to me, I'd feel that way too. We need somebody to validate our feelings. Everybody wants to be understood. Everybody wants to have their feelings validated by somebody else. That's what empathy does. It meets those deep, deep needs. Now, if we're going to build a team of friends or build a small group, or we have to build empathy into that structure, even with our family. How do we do that? How do we become a more empathetic person? I want to give you, I think it's four ways, up three ways under empathy. The first way is by slowing down. We've got to shift gears. Our culture teaches us to go fast, 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 fast. Faster, 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 faster. And then crash at the end of the day and get up and do it again. And sometimes we end up in our relationships doing the same thing, and we skip through our relationships. It's like when you take a, a stone, you skip it across a lake, and and you can do that with your relationships. You, you just barely touch people's lives. Like, hey, Fred, hey, hey Joe, hey, Susie. But, and we call them friends. You know, some people have a thousand friends on Facebook. A thousand people that they say, they are my friends, but we don't know anything about them. Well, what we know is just real shallow. We just know the highlights. We skip, skip, skip. I mean, really, a lot of your friends on Facebook, the only thing you see is every time they go to Disney... Every time they have an anniversary, every time they get a promotion, that's it. You only see the greatest days of their life. It's like their highlight reel. And, and you like, I like those Mickey ears. Oh, I like, you know, that cute little dessert you have. Oh, I like that, that promotion. And, and we call, are we in, rela- in relationship? Are we, de- no, in order for us to, in order for us to have empathy, to understand them and to validate them and, and vice versa. We've got to go deeper. And to go deeper, we've got to slow down. And this may be the people who are the closest to us because sometimes we spend so many time trying to like everybody's photo that we don't have time to spend with our kids or our spouse or our friends or the people that are our family that are close to us. Look what this advice is from James. James says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Good advice. Good advice for groups, good advice for families, good advice for marriage. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Next way to be empathetic, empathetic, not only do we need to slow down, but I become more empathetic by asking questions. You could even write the word follow-up underneath questions if you wanted to. One of the ways we show empathy to our kids is we ask them questions and ask them those follow-up questions. Our spouse, anybody we're in relationship with. Proverbs 25 says, A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but somebody with insight can draw them out. Circle draw them out. We have to draw it out of people. If we want to be sympathetic, how do you do that? And why do we do that? Why, why do we have to draw it out? Well, in the first place, most people don't just blurt out their emotions. They just don't tell you what's on their heart. They keep those things kind of close to the vest. They don't automatically share how they're doing. In fact, if you ask them the question, how are you doing? How are you doing today? 
Everybody knows the polite answer is, I'm fine. Whether you're fine or not, whether you're going to, whether you came to church needing, you're in a battle and you need a miracle, when you walk in, you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And of course, we know that sometimes just asking the question, how are you doing? That's just being polite. I'm not really interested in how you're doing. I'm just kind of being polite. Like two strangers can pass on a sidewalk, never seen each other before, never see each other again. You say, how are you doing? Fine. And keep going. And it's like that was almost meaningless in the conversation. So how do you draw it out? Well, you've got to learn to ask the question twice or ask the follow-up question. And that's how you develop empathy. Because if you say to somebody or somebody says to you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. And you pause, and you ask it again. No, how are you really doing? And then you're like, oh, this is a real question, not just a polite question. This is somebody who cares about me or really wants to know. We ask the question twice. We slow down. We ask questions. This is how we develop empathy. The, the third way is I become more empathetic by showing my emotions. That's how you empathize with other people. You share your emotions. Romans 12:15 says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep." Empathy, empathy is more than saying, "Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're hurt." Empathy is saying, "I hurt with you." And we're willing to cry with them. We're willing to sit with them. We're willing to feel what they're feeling, not trying to fix them. You know, I've said sometimes what, when someone's really experiencing grief, they don't need a magic Bible verse. They don't need you to solve their problem. They need you to show up and what? Shut up. Just be there. The bigger the grief, the less words you need. Now, if they're having a bad hair day, you can talk to them about their hair all day long. Use as many words as you want. But if they've lost somebody or they've lost a job or their spouse has walked out on them or they, their kid is on drugs... That's not the time to, to give them your three-point sermon. Well, Pastor Jerry always said, no, just be quiet and sit with them. Cry with them. Be there with them. That's the third key. I show, how do you do that? How, how do you be there for people? Well, the only way we can do that is we have to keep our tank filled up with God. When you... Spend time with God, spend time in His Word. He fills up your emotional love tank, and then you're able to love others. But when, you're, when you skip time with God, when, you, when you're low on your God tank, you're not going to have any empathy to give out to somebody else. All right, the T is trust, the E is empathy, the A is accommodation. I'll spell this for you, A-C-C-O-M-O-D-A-T-I-O-N. When you look at it, you're like, I don't know if that's spelled right. It is. It doesn't look right, but it is. It takes trust. We build trust by being with each other. It takes empathy, and it takes accommodation because we're all different. What does accommodation mean? That's one of those words where, I mean, it's like, couldn't Jerry think up something better that starts with an A? You know, did you have to dig so deep? What is accommodation? Let me tell you what it means. When you think about it, when somebody books an accommodation for you, what is that? They're booking you a hotel room or a motel room. Or, or if you have somebody in your house and you give them a guest room, you are accommodating them. You're giving them an accommodation. It means to give space. It means that we're to... 
There's a lot of different people, different kinds of people on our team, and people need us to give them space to accommodate because we're so different. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 2.22. Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Well, that's a verse for the refrigerator, isn't it? Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Now, if I were to say, raise your hand if you're easy to get along with, that's really not as good a question as if, because you may think you're easy to get along with. You may be easy for you to get along with. But what we really want to know is, how many of you, how many of you, you're sitting next to a person who's easy to get along or aren't easy to get along with? That's what we, what would the closest people to you say about whether you're easy to get along with or not? That's, that's accommodation. Romans 12:18 says, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. First it says, do your part. I like that because obviously you have a part and the other person. Everyone else has a part. And have you discovered in life yet that a lot of people don't do their part? They don't, they don't do their part to live at peace with you. And no matter how much you do your part, there are some people in life that aren't going to do their part. But luckily it says as much as is possible. As much as possible. I'm glad God put that in there because even God realizes that some people are unpleasable. Do you have some of those people in your life? No matter how much we try, no matter how much we try to get along with them, they're never going to get along with it. It's their own hang-ups. They've, they've had a life that's caused them to be at a place where no matter how nice we are, they're never going to be nice back. It's their own baggage. And God says, as much as it's possible for you, even with these people who can't be nice and these people who can't get along, you do everything you can on your half of that equation to accommodate. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we can accommodate each other. I think I have four of them here. The first way is we accommodate each other's needs, the needs we have in our lives. Romans 5.2 says each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Another great message paraphrase. When you think about needs, needs take time. And needs take energy. If I'm going to meet somebody's need, if I'm going to meet somebody's need, it's going to take time, it's going to take energy. I think most of us, we look at ourselves and we're like, well, Pastor Jerry, I don't even have enough time and energy to meet my own needs. How am I going to meet somebody else's needs? You're asking me to help meet teenager needs? I don't have time to meet my own needs. And you're right. We do not have the time and the energy to meet all of our own needs. We don't. But God made it that way on purpose because he knows that when we team up with each other, that I have enough time and energy and you have enough time and energy. When we put them together, we can meet both of our needs. All of our needs are met. It's amazing. I can't meet my needs by myself, but when we work together, when we minister together, Together, God meets all of our needs. That's the way he's designed it. In fact, there are some needs in my life or your life that are only going to be met when we team tackle them, when we get more people involved. That's one of the ways we accommodate each other. There's a, 
a great question in that verse. Did you see the question about a, a great accommodation question? How can I help? Use that question this week. Ask that question to the people close to you and the people that you've never asked it for. You just say, how can I help? How can I help you? You watch what God can do through that one question. If you'll articulate that question to people and say, how can I help you? Someone's going to say, well, I really need help with such and such. And you may go, I could do that. And you're like, really? Oh, yeah. No problem. We also, number two, accommodate each other's ideas. Accommodate each other's ideas. Look at this verse. The intelligent man is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. Are we always open to new ideas? If not, we might not be the intelligent man. A lot of times, if, you're, if you admit it, a lot of times, you're in a group of people, you're in a group of friends, maybe even a small group, and someone comes with an idea, and honestly, your first thought, in fact, you hope it stays a thought and just doesn't fly out of your mouth, your first thought is, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And you got that look on your face like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And, and there's a couple of possibilities here. One possibility is it's a new idea. It's just new. It's a new way of looking at something. It's kind of looking at it from a different angle. And it might be an idea that if you implement it, it might change your life. It might improve things. The other possibility is, no, it's just the stupidest idea you've ever heard. And probably that one wins out, right? But if you think about that first one, every new invention, every new improvement, every idea that has helped or improved our life, our world, our family, it all started out with a whole lot of people sitting around the room going, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And then the early adopters are open to it. They're the intelligent men. And they try it, and they come back and they say, oh, I know this sounds crazy. This really works. Oh, this really helped me. Oh, you should try this. And then some of us, you know, middle of the road people are like, well, I guess because he said and she said, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, for us it's the same thing. So we accommodate needs. We accommodate ideas. Number three, we, we have to accommodate each other's personalities. Oh, you don't have to be in a small group very long to figure this out. You don't have to be in a family very long to figure out there's a lot of different personalities in our family. I had someone tell me one time that not only do my wife and I have different personalities, but she has several different personalities in her all by herself. <laughs> like, you need counseling, dude. Uh, <laughs> Romans 12, 6. God in his, what does that say? In his kindness. God in his kindness gave, us, gave each of us different gifts. I want to say God in his humor sometimes gave each of us different gifts. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different personalities. And God says, I'm being kind to you by giving you all these different personalities, abilities, and gifts. And you see this whether you're in a work group, a church group, a, a school group, a small group. Um, here's, here's what God's doing. God wants to use our differences to make a difference in the world. I'll say it again. God's intention. He wants to use our differences to make a difference in the world. In fact, it's only through our differences that we can really make an impact and make a difference in the world. I can't change the world by myself. You can't change the world by yourself. 
But when we as the body of Christ all work together and God gets involved, the world gets changed. God has designed it so that we have to work together for this world to change. That's why he gives us our differences. That's why we have to appreciate and enjoy the differences in our personalities and our gifts and our abilities. We're all shaped differently. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. He's made us different so we can serve together and make a bigger impact. Number four, we have to accommodate each other's faults. So we accommodate each other's needs, each other's ideas, each other's personalities, and now each other's faults. Ephesians gives us clear direction. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Some of you, you joined four weeks ago, you joined a brand new group. You jumped into a 40-day group. And that first week, you looked around that room and you were thinking to yourself, man, these people are great. These people are like perfect. And now four weeks in, you're realizing through all the prayer requests that they've had it, oh, no, they got tons of faults. They're not perfect. They're great in some areas, not so great in others. It doesn't take that long to figure that out, does it? And the moment you figure out you're in a group of people who aren't perfect, who maybe not always are great, you have, you have a couple of choices. You really have three choices. You can, you can fake it and pretend we're all perfect. I know a lot of people who grew up in families like that. They weren't perfect, but they all pretended that they were perfect. That takes a lot of emotional energy. creates all kinds of problems. Everything's perfect around here in our family. There's a lot of stress in that. The other choice you can make is when you're a group of people, you realize they're not perfect, you can leave. You can say, well, I'm leaving this group. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving that group. They all got problems. You know, I, I'm, I want to find a perfect small group. Or some people even go, I'm going to go find a perfect church. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. Because there's no perfect small groups and no perfect churches. And even if you found one, as soon as you join it, it's not perfect anymore. Because of you. Yeah, a perfect small group has zero people. It's a really small group. You can't find one. Because none of us are perfect. That's accommodation. Amazing thing about accommodation is it doesn't make us weaker. It actually makes us stronger. We're not trying to face life on our own or do life on our own. We're doing it together with imperfect people that have some, some weird ideas and they have some needs and they have different personalities. And they're not perfect. God never meant for you to run with perfect people nor run the race of life alone. You need a family. You need a group. You, you need the body of Christ. You need other believers to help you run this race, live this life. All right, there's a fourth key in building a team. It's the most important of all. I got just enough time. You, you, this is what keeps you from being just a social club. Because you, you can have trust and you can have empathy and you can have accommodation. But what makes you a team is mission. Will you fill that in? To have a team, you have to have a cause. You have to have a reason. What's the why do we meet? Why are we doing this? Teams don't exist for themselves. They have a reason. They're doing something together. 
they're making a difference in the world some way. That's the purpose of a team. All of our strategic service teams, they know. They're part of a bigger team, our church family, that's focusing on making a difference in the world around us, accomplishing something together. Philippians 2.2 says, Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. At Seminole Community Church, all of our small groups have a purpose. We're learning to do these. During 40 Days of Community, we've been learning what this purpose is, what it means to fellowship together, what it means to grow together, what it means to reach out to the community together, what it means to worship together. Today what we're talking about is what it means to serve together. And it's something that we have to maintain, not something we just do for six weeks, for 40 days, and then we... And then we quit, but we have to continue to put energy in it. Here's the question. How are we going to continue to do God's purposes? How are you going to continue to do God's purpose in your life after 40 days of community? How are we going to maintain that? Well, there's only one way. It's found in Ephesians 10, verse 25. It says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. You've got to keep on keeping on. You've got to stay with that group or stay with your small group or stay with that team that you're serving with together it, to learn to grow together, to learn to fellowship together, to learn to reach out and to serve and to worship together. Because, as we say, we've got it on the wall in the lobby, we're better together. We're much better together. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us. And as we bow our heads, I want you to know that God wants to use you on a team. And I invite you to pray this prayer. I've said it before, the most dangerous prayer you can pray. If you're one of those people who says, God never answers my prayers, well, pray this one. He'll answer it. I want you to just say to God, God, I'll let you hear it before I get you to pray it. God, I want you to use me. Would you pray that prayer to God? Just say, God, I want you to use me. I, I dare you to pray that prayer. God, I want you to use me. Whatever I've got, anytime, any way, any place, I want to learn to serve you, God. But I want to do it with other people. I want to do it in community. I want to do it with trust and empathy and accommodating each other, but with a clear mission to serve you. God, use me, use us to make a difference. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you will use our church, all the groups, all the teams, all the individuals, all together as your local body of Christ here, that you'll use us to reach this area of Central Florida. For you, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.